before Big Ben's throw, before Santonio Holmes' catch, before Pittsburgh became Sixburg. There were doubts. There was a daunting schedule. There was a dominant defense. This is the season. 2008 Pittsburgh Steelers. Steeler Nation, we're back. But in this episode, we won't be breaking down a specific game. Since we've been mirroring the schedule of our 2018, that means we should be on the bye. No bye week for the podcast, though. This episode will be a Q&A with myself as we try to share more untold stories, take you behind the scenes of the podcast, and answer listeners' questions. To help me out, I have my producer, Eric, with me. Hey, guys. This is Eric DeBerardinas. Um, I usually go by the nickname Debo. But BMAC, out of respect to James Harrison, I can't claim that nickname today. And I'm not going to tell the listeners who I'm a fan of. But this is my opportunity to put you on the spot. I'm going to ask a few questions that I think listeners might be interested in. We're going to respond to some Twitter questions. And then we'll end it with a few 2008 Steelers superlatives. So we'll start. Anniversaries are special in all walks of life. We celebrate high school and college reunions. I'm not married, but I hear wedding anniversaries are pretty important. BMAC, what are the emotions of revisiting the 10-year anniversary of this Steelers team really since we started recording this podcast in July? Uh, it's, it's, it's almost like a surreal feeling because it's been 10 years, even though it, does, it doesn't really feel like 10 years, but because of the time, it's been 10 years and 10 years is a long time. That's a decade. So being able to revisit that season, something we really haven't done before is huge is major not to mention throughout this current 2008 season the actual team had an opportunity to go back to pittsburgh and be reunited once again and also honored which was a huge opportunity because with this podcast for the most part you hear you get audio from you know guys that i played with you know, as fans, as listeners, you get an audio, you get an opportunity to opportunity to hear the audio from your favorite Steeler player. But when we got an opportunity to reunite in Pittsburgh, we had visual also. We got an opportunity to talk and hug each other and share stories once again. So being a part of this is a is a surreal moment. Uh, it's a huge moment because that winning team did something no other organization had an has an opportunity to do up until this point which was win six Lombardis and we were able to do so and just knowing that this is the 10-year reunion it's been it's been unbelievable you talked about that meeting in early December when the Steelers held that ceremony for you but it was really an entire weekend when you catch up with those guys are, are you talking about football you said it doesn't feel like 10 years are you talking about 10 years ago on the football field or is it more you're talking about life you're talking about your kids now and what has happened in those 10 years all, all of the above first and foremost you want to catch up you know uh, what's new what's going on but the good thing about our team even though we live in different parts of the country, we still talk. We still have relationships. You know, I'm involved in, in, in a few, you know, group chats where there's about 15, 16, 18 guys that we play with 
in Pittsburgh. So we still have a real good relationship. And I think that was that, that, that that's what made that team so special. That's what made that organization so special because it was it was not just a working relationship. It was a for real relationship. And because of that, we we still are intact. We still have some type of communication. So those group chats, uh, I've always found that there seems to be a leader of a group chat. Who's the leader of your group chats and kind of gets things ignited, gets the conversation going amongst those old Steelers guys? You know what? That's a good question. I mean, any given time, anybody can be a leader. Uh, it, it depends on the moment. It depends on the day. It depends on the time. You know, any given time, because you have so many players on a group chat, someone might be watching a Steeler game or someone might be watching another NFL game. And you know what? Throw out a topic on the chat and we all just discuss it or, you know, just, you know, giving updated information about what an individual potentially might be doing. You know, we all get updated that way. So any given time, man, you know, anybody can be the leader. But granted, it's something that is so cool because we all communicate like we're still playing, which is so cool, even though we're far, we're far removed from the game. But we still all have the same dialogue like we still are out there lacing up our cleats and putting on our helmets. And I can kind of testify to that. Anytime I would ask you about a potential guest for the podcast, your reply was always, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he'll do it. So you can see how strong those relationships are still. With that reunion in early December, did you guys, Steeler Nation needs to know this, did you guys play any Boo-Ray? <laughs> of course we did. Boo-Ray is what built our camaraderie, in my opinion. And we played Boo-Ray. All right. So, listeners, this is inside stories right here. Only You only get that. Only get this here on the season. But Boo-Ray's a card game, and for you card players out here, you potentially have heard of it before or you potentially have participated in, in it before, but it's a card game. Uh, you can play up to, to, up to, up with six players. You can play up with six players, uh, no more than six. You get five cards, but you know, that was an opportunity to reunite because that's something that we did so often. We did consistently. And you know what, Eric, the first night, Friday night, uh, we played Boo-Ray. We came back. We went out. Uh, you know, we went out to the activity. We came back to the hotel maybe around 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. We played Boo-Ray until 8.15 a.m. Friday night, listeners, myself, along with some other teammates, we didn't go to sleep. And then we repeated the same cycle Saturday night going into Sunday morning. And then we repeated the same cycle Sunday night after the Sunday night game against the Chargers into Monday morning. <laughs> And this is a little bit of a teaser. We won't give too much away, but it sounds a little similar to Super Bowl 43 and leading up to that game, kind of the time frame that you spent with your teammates in hotel rooms uh, playing Boo-Ray. Uh, we'll get to that in future episodes. But I'm sure, you know, one of our guests, if if one of our guests, Dick LeBeau, knew about that, I don't know what his response would be, but you were under the tutelage of Dick for a lot of years. It was just exciting to see your excitement getting to chat with him but how impressed were you by his memory of a matchup against the patriots in which tom brady didn't even play he would just tell us random plays from the second quarter defensive coverages how impressed were you when we recorded that back in the summer he was 80 years old now 81 how impressive is dick lebeau oh extremely impressive i mean i was so amazed because we're talking about an individual 
that has at least as a player and as a coach over 60 years of NFL experience, over 60 years of executing plays, over 60 years of calling plays. When you combine all of that, you know how many plays he's been a part of. And we're not. And the unique thing about that observation, as far as me listening to what he was saying, was that it's one thing to know play by play in a game like the Super Bowl. But it's it's night and day when you're talking about a regular season matchup, not even a playoff matchup. And like you said, he, he was on point with that ball game, and he knew more than I knew. <laughs> and I'm younger as far as remembering exactly what happened. So I know you're supposed to be politically correct as a player, but you're retired now, so you can answer this honestly. Who was your favorite guest that we've had on so far? <clears throat> oh, my goodness. I mean, you could, that's the... That's a pressure. That's a pressure question. I feel like no. a quarterback when the when the pocket is starting to collapse. So you've been putting uh, you've been putting your guys on the spot throughout this podcast. I got to do it to you now. Ah, uh, you know what? Dick LeBeau was the best guest, and I say that because of he's, he's the only guest that's already in the hall. Granted, I believe a few more of my guests will eventually get there. But he's the only guest that's in the Hall of Fame. He's the only guest that has the most wisdom. He's the only guest that we all as players will give our right and our left arm for because that's the respect we have for him and the stories that he can he can provide. Uh, you know, I tell people all the time, if I ever became a defensive coach, I would love to get Dick LeBeau's playbook. Oh, by the way, I have that. And the late great Jim Johnson's playbook and combine in one. And Jim Johnson, for you football fans, you remember who he was. Uh, outstanding defensive coordinator for Philadelphia Eagles for quite some time. A, an aggressive play caller. But he was a guy that I love watching as far as his players execute their game plan. And of course, me playing with Dick LeBeau, the wisdom and the knowledge and also the creator of the fire zone. Yeah, Dick LeBeau was probably the most, I guess, not just entertaining guests, but one of the most, uh, one of the more highly anticipated guests that we had on the podcast. All right, you go with the coach. You don't have to throw any of your ex-teammates under the bus or, or, or prop them up. But speaking of the leader of that defense, uh, we've talked to a bunch of defensive guys, more than offensive guys on this podcast. But where does that 2008 Steelers defense rank among all-time defenses in your mind? And I know you're biased. But try to remove that layer of playing for the team. Where do you think they fit in the conversation? We have to be top five. I think we have to be top five, and here's why. I'm throwing bias aside. Listeners, Steeler fans, of course, I know you agree with me, but as far as football fans that are listening to us right now, hear me out. I say we top five based on what it took for us to get to the championship ball game. We played, we had the toughest schedule in 2008. Now, go back, listeners, and look at our schedule and then look at the quarterbacks we played along with the offenses we played. And we were able to fight through that schedule. I think we only lost three ball games, so we were 13-3. and three. We were able to get the number two seed in the, in the playoffs, and the rest is history. Then outside of the level of competition in which we played against, look at what we did as far as statistics. 
the only defense in NFL history to ever to ever have a streak of 13 straight games, 13 straight opponents where we held those opponents in total under 300 yards, under 300 yards. We held 13 straight teams under 300 yards. That may never happen again. So when you pair that up to what we face as far as level of competition, when you pair that up in the consistency in which we dominated, and then we actually won their Super Bowl against an unbelievable offense, and that offense has Kurt Warner, who's already in the hall, Edgerrin James, who will eventually get into the hall, Larry Fitzgerald, who will get into the hall, and Anquan Bolden, who will get into the hall also. You're talking about a Super Bowl offense that have, will have four Hall of Famers, and we were able to get the job done to win that ball game. Yes, we got to be in the top five all time. So if you guys don't know, which you should by now, BMAC is a total historian of the game, and you said top five. Can I get you to say the rank in Steelers history? Uh, oh. th- those 1976 guys might be listening. Uh, and, and for me, uh, when you look at those Steelers, of course, they created the Steel Curtain. So much respect to them. And that uh, era of defensive teams won four championships. So they had more consistency in, than us. The longevity was there. And they consistently won big ball games. So for me personally, I mean, when you look at all four defenses, the thing that they have on us, and we don't know exactly how many players from our 2008 defense will get into the hall, but that defense, oh, my goodness. You can pick and choose the, your poison. They have so many Hall of Famers that were a part of that defense. So I have to give respect to where respect is due. I mean, best-case scenario for us if you look at four defenses, the four defenses that won four championships in the 70s for the Pittsburgh Steelers compared to our 2008 defense, you know, at least two of those defenses probably would be ranked higher than us based on how they dominated and based on the individual talent they had, the individual talents as far as the Hall of Fame. So I got to give respect to respect, dude. When you talk about Mel Blunt, when you talk about Mean Joe Green, when you talk about Shell, Lambert, Ham, man, when you talk about L.C. Greenwood, you talk about J.T. Thomas, I mean, on and on and on. Oh, man, I, I got to give respect to respect, dude, man. Hopefully we can fall in third <laughs> uh, when you look at those four championship defenses. That was well done. So we covered the Steelers. I'm going to keep pushing you on this. I'm going to give you a couple teams. You tell me if that 08 Steelers defense was better than these teams. The 2000 Ravens. Woo! The 2000 Ravens. Oh, no. The 2000 Ravens. Uh, That's a tough one. Like I said, Steelers have to be in the top five conversation. I think the 2000 Ravens defense probably one of the best defenses to ever do it. I think they they would arguably be fighting for one or two. So I will put the Ravens above us. I, I I could do that, but I can see the logic of having the Steelers in front. But me personally, just seeing what they did now off the top of my head, Eric, I don't remember what it took for them to get there as far as level of competition. I think that has to work in our favor compared to other teams. But that 2000 Raven defense was spectacular. So if we're taking a backseat to that defense, I'm okay with that. 
And in the playoffs, they did allow just 23 points in the entire postseason, and that consisted of four games uh, looking up their playoff schedule right now from that year. But they defeated the Giants in the Super Bowl. Um, they had to go through the Broncos at the time, post-John Elway, Tennessee Titans with Steve McNair, Oakland Raiders with Rich Gannon, and then ended up with the New York Giants led by Kerry Collins. Hip-hop takes the stand in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Rap lyrics are playing an increasingly prominent role in criminal cases. Every song, every lyric, every video that you've ever been involved with, they're going to use against you. Follow rap artist Kemba as he explores the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system. This artistic expression is a confession. I'm ready. Roll the tape. Watch the eye-opening new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. We're going to go to a Twitter question. This one is from Scott Meyer. So at what point did you 100% know it would be a special season and a special team in 2008? Well, Scott, thank you for the question. Um, I, I that's, that's a real good question because, you know, going into that 2008 uh, 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 season, you know, we were against all odds. Many people felt like we were finished maybe third in our division alone. Uh, not to mention not making the playoffs at all. Uh, but I felt like going into the regular season, the first month of the season, uh, we were three and one. We were three and one. And going into the bye week, which was week six, we were four and one. I felt like after the bye week, going into the bye week, we had something special going on. And I felt like that was around the time that we realized we, we, we are a playoff team. We are a playoff team. It's about where we will get seated. Then we felt like once we get into the playoffs, the rest is history. Because we had the majority of our team was still a part of the Super Bowl XL, which was in 2005. So we had experience. So, Scott, to answer your question, Going to into the bye week when we finished, uh, we beat Jacksonville the week right before the bye week, week five. We were four and one. That was around the time ment- mentally we started to understand and realize, you know what, we can win it, win it all. Because the bigger question for most teams are, it is, can they get into the playoffs? When we were four and one, we knew we were a playoff team. We knew it. We knew we were a playoff team. And it was just a matter of where we will be in the playoff tournament. But after week five, Scott, going into that bye week, that was around the timeline that we felt like we had a special group. And it was evident because you came off the bye and beat the Bengals 38-10. to 10. So Scott added that he turned down tickets to the divisional round playoff game, which we'll break down next week. Because he was 0-3 at games he attended that year, so it seems like the uh, superstition paid off. And I know there's a lot of superstition among fans. Scott definitely showcased it there. We're going to get to some superlatives. BMAC, you know how in high school yearbooks they always feature superlatives? Well, that's essentially what we're doing, capturing an audio yearbook of the 2008 Steelers. So I'm going to have to hand out some superlatives. A lot of times... Schools, they ask the most likely to win the Super Bowl. We'll skip that one, but I'm going to start with your favorite Mike Tomlinism. Ah, the standard is the standard is one. I'm giving you multiple. I I can't just give you just one. Uh, 
don't be the guy. Um, but one of my, one of the top ones that I really enjoyed and I really love hearing them harp on was it's a five star matchup because we're in it. I mean, that is a cool, cool statement. It's, it stood true to us. And at the end of the day, it wasn't about who we were playing. It was about us. And we felt like a rock band. We felt like it didn't matter where we were playing at. It didn't matter who we were playing against. <clears throat> People were coming to see the ball game because the Steelers were in it. And at that time, listen, if, if, listeners, if you go back, I mean, we had so many primetime games. And that's where that came from. I mean, it's a five-star matchup because we're in it. All right. So we don't want to be too obvious here. So I'm going to go best hair not named Troy Palomalu. Best hair not named Troy would probably be uh Kiesel. And I'm not talking about the hair on his head. I'm more so talking about the hair on his face. Uh Kiesel became known not just from his outstanding play on the football field with the beard. I mean, he had an unbelievable beard. He actually had T-shirts uh, that, you know, we wore uh, supporting his movement, the beard. You know, I remember uh, my rookie year, I used to, you know, talk with uh, JB a lot, Jerome Bettis. And I remember uh, during, it was like regular season game, and my locker in Heinz Field wasn't too far from JB's locker. And JB used to always wear the leather elbow sleeves. If you guys know what I'm talking about, you know, if you watch him play, you remember anytime you watch JB play, Jerome Bettis play, he always had the elbow sleeves. And I asked him, I'm like, JB, why do you always wear those sleeves? Like anytime he had on his game uniform, you could expect to see the sleeves. And JB said, he told me, he was like, young buck, every superhero has a signature. And he says, that's, this is my signature. And I thought about it. I said, you know what? You're right. I mean, Superman has his cape. You know, Batman has the mask. I mean, Spider-Man has, you know, his, his uniform, you know, every Super Bowl, uh, every, um, um, superhero, I'm sorry, has a signature. And that beard became Brett Kiesel's signature. Uh, just like the hair became Troy, uh, Palomalu's signature. So for me, outside of Troy, Kiesel, Kiesel, the bearded one, uh, probably had the best hair was your signature the uh the jordan shorts <laughs> well I, I guess my signature was at that time was i i i started to grow a little gold tee and i and i kind of let it grow longer and longer and longer as we continue to play good football so i, I think my signature was my gold tee all right so you had superstition too um oh, no question and you also have staked your claim uh, as the number one dj in that locker room that season now, besides yes, Renegade from Sticks, which we know about, what was the kind of the number one song that would pump you guys up from a decade ago, if we, if we remember the hits of a decade ago? Oh, my goodness, man. We had so many songs that we liked that we all enjoyed. Uh, Renegade is pretty much on an island by itself. And I say that because if you ask players – of course, the players that have joined me on this podcast, they're f what got you going the most. They would say Renegade. But also, too, you ask Steeler fans, what musical hit is associated with the Steelers? They would also say Renegade. So for me, Eric, that's 
renegade on an island by itself. Because when you hear that renegade, especially in in playoff football, when it's cold outside, I mean, that is when you put on your superhero outfit. That is when you, you're prepared to run through a wall. Uh, and that's something that has been associated with the Steelers brand for quite some time. And especially in 2008, because anytime they pumped that renegade defensively when we were on the football field, we felt like something good was going to happen for us. So I just pulled up uh, Billboard's Top 100 Singles of 2008. I was curious. I want to ask you a couple of these songs and if you remember maybe them being hits or misses in the locker room. So the number one song of that year was Low by Flo Rida and T-Pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got nah. Lollipop by Lil Wayne. What else do we have? Uh, Viva La Vida, if you guys were playing some Coldplay. Just a lot of Neo and Usher. Um, that's kind of the hits of 2008, if we look at the list. Uh, a lot of Lil Wayne. I think the Carter 3 was released that year, so that might have been something um, yeah, yeah, that yeah, you yeah. guys See, were we playing. See, we wasn't more pop. We were all rap. You know, we were, we, we were trying to get to that get to that area mentally as far as it's fight time <laughs> and you and you, know, you we, would create these playlists no question now granted it was edited you know it was all edited but uh they had you know one thing about us was that we were together and everything we did so you know we used to work out a lot together as a team not being forced to but we used to do it together because that was an opportunity as opportunity for us to be around each other so anytime in the weight room we would look, we would work out together. They would always be like, "B Mac, put your eye, hook your iPod up, give us something." And I just, you know, Gibbon, who was the strength coach then, he's still currently there. You know, he'll let me go ahead and do my do. B Mac, hook it up. And the weight room used to be rocking. And instantly, guys would go to another level as far as lifting weights. You know, as far as cardio. You know, just going above and beyond what was asked uh, uh, of us to do. And they wanted that same feeling in the stadium. So that's how that kind of came about. It was like, you know what, Mac, what, what, what you got for us? We need something to get us cracking. We need, we need something to get us going. And I was like, okay, cool. So I worked with, uh, Mike Martinsky, uh, gave him a, a list of potential songs. He were able, he was able to get them edited and we rocked and rolled. And you know, when, when I knew the playlist was jumping is when, is when when opposing teams walk into the stadium as far as pregame warm up and they instantly they go they go to bouncing so now they're joining also so we were like you know what yeah they 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 see the atmosphere but at the end of the day you know that bouncing probably would stop first quarter we know what that defense did um so speaking of that what's the best quarterback you played all season who would you say it was it was the toughest to stop or game plan for wow oh Oh, you boy. faced a, a rookie Probably. Joe Flacco. You faced Donovan McNabb. You faced, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick because Carson Palmer was injured. You faced Eli. You faced Peyton. You didn't face Tom Brady Turner. because Matt we Castle faced, was there. Faced Tony Romo. We faced Kerry Collins. Philip Rivers. Time, yeah, Philip Rivers. Kerry Collins was playing good football. They had the number one seed in the AFC. Uh, yeah, Tony Romo, Philip Rivers, uh, Eli McNabb. Uh, with Garrard in, in Jacksonville. Yeah, I, I, Peyton, Peyton, of course, Peyton was always, uh, a, a difficult, a difficult task and they beat us about four points, 24 to 20. But just the knowledge in which he played and he was able to display, uh, also too, the talent he had surrounded him. Um, 
at that time, you know, he still had two elite receivers, uh, Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne. I think Joseph Adad was the running back at that time. Yep. Dallas Clark uh, was the tight end, uh, a pretty established offensive line. So, yeah, so Peyton, we know what he, Peyton will go down as one of the best quarterbacks to ever do it. So respect is definitely there with when it comes to Peyton Manning. All right, so we've heard the creeper for Mawalde Moore, his infamous nickname for how he would kind of creep up on you, and we've heard Lil Feet for Byron Leftwich, a six foot <laughs> five guy with size nine shoes. Out of those two, who had the better nickname? Oh man, the creeper. The creeper, you know what's crazy? The creeper still embraces the nickname the creeper. Mawalde Moore, when we saw him uh at the reunion, uh, the first thing we said, creeper, and he embraced it. I mean, <laughs> that one thing I can say about Mowelde, man, he's a heck of a player, great individual, and he just he just want he just made sure that he wanted us to know that he was in for the long haul. I mean, he came in, he played good football, and because of that, I mean, he was like, you know what? It wasn't a disrespectful name, but it was fitting. And he knew it was fitting because he admitted to, you know, that was a part of his uh, personality, just jumping in the conversations that had nothing to do with him, wouldn't verbally say anything, but just his presence, uh, would, would, his presence would be known by him just sitting around his shoulder watching. And he still embraces the name The Creeper. <laughs> and and ended up playing a pretty big role in that team with Willie Parker suffering injuries throughout the season, nagging injuries. Moore played a big role along with Gary Russell out of that backfield. So we've talked about the defense a ton. You guys created so many turnovers, and you've mentioned this. On interception returns, which you guys had a lot of, some defensive backs and linebackers, they would call for pitches with the ball carrier if he if it looked like he was going down. Who on that team was most likely to call for a pitch and maybe most likely to get mad if you didn't pitch him the ball on an interception return? Ike Taylor. Yeah. Ike Taylor. Yeah, I, and the thing about Ike is that on an interception and, you know, once, you know, a defensive player gets the, catch the, catches the interception, you're supposed to try to block. There could be a player from the opposing team getting ready to tackle you with the ball, but Ike is right there in front of him, and instead of Ike trying to go block him, he's asking for the pitch. And and when you watch the tape, you know, we used to always joke around, like, Ike, if you just turn and block the guy, Potentially, that the, 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 our teammate could have scored. Ike would always ask for the pitch, even if he wasn't in in the area to receive a pitch. He would always have his hands out asking for a pitch. And if you don't pitch him the football, it's almost like he's not even going to block for you. <laughs> Good thing he didn't do that on James Harrison's return, or maybe he did, and we just don't know about it because we know the outcome of that play. Uh, but there exactly. was no hesitation for you on that answer. We'll see if there's hesitation here. But most likely to have been distracted by social media if it existed to its current form back in 2008. Distracted by social media. Uh, one thing about our group in 2008, distractions was something we would not allow to uh, creep into our facility, into our minds. And we were a very, very vet. We were an established group with veterans, leaders. And I don't think that would have been an issue for us. Now, maybe after the fact, as far as once the season was over, maybe maybe after the fact, that could be a distraction because, you granted, you know, you got a lot of free time. But during the season, we were so focused, Eric, man, nothing was going to prevent prevent us from reaching our ultimate goal. 
All right, so maybe after the Super Bowl win, they start posting on the gram. I don't question. I mean, after the Super Bowl win, I mean, you got Ike Taylor probably would have been one. Uh, you no, know, Will Gay would have been one. You know, uh, some of the younger guys, you know, that were, you know, just now establishing and experiencing a ultimate championship vibe. Uh, man, we, you know, Nate Washington probably could have been one. Uh, you know, Offensive line wise, Big Willie Cologne. I can see Big Willie Cologne being involved. So Tyrone Carter. I mean, yeah, guys would have really enjoyed themselves in the offseason with social media if that was a if that was around at that time. How about the best and worst dressed members of the 2008 Steelers? Uh, worst dress goes to Willie Parker. Willie no Parker hesitation was again. Oh my goodness, Willie Parker still can't dress. Really, I just saw him at the uh, the reunion. He's still. Hasn't really improved his dress code. But you know what? Willie Parker, it wasn't like Willie Parker would get sensitive. He knew he was going to get a lot of flack for his dress code, home or away, and he just prepared himself for it. The crazy part about Willie Parker, and we joked about this weeks ago when we saw each other, me, me, Willie, and some other guys, like Saturday away games, we would all always have our walkthrough, and then we most guys would depart to the airport from the practice facility so after the walkthrough guys were you know put their outfits up you know some guys will put their outfits in the locker room willie parker will put his outfit in front of his locker room hanging up on display like it was something that was nice and his locker was right across from my locker and i used to always see willie putting these ugly shirts and these ugly jeans up on display and i used to be like willie p stop doing this man that is horrible and he used to always, man, Mac, man, you Florida State guys think you got all the style and this and that. And we used to jump on his head instantly. So Willie Parker was one of the worst dressed guys I've seen, not just on our team, but I've seen in a long, long time. You know, best dressed guys, we had a lot of guys with swag, different swag. You know, Ryan Clark used to always come through with some heat. Um, Of course, you know, you see him now doing his thing uh, uh on ESPN. He always used to come through with some heat. Myself, I used to always come through with some heat. Deshae Townsend. Um, you know, uh, Ike had some nice swag. Uh, it was, you know, the thing about our team was that, you know, we had an opportunity to dress up or dress down, you know, and anytime we dressed up, we really came through, you know, with some nice stuff. And anytime we dressed down, we still had a lot of swag, you know, but for the most part now, D, uh, Larry foot, you know, Larry foot was from Detroit. And if you know anything about individuals from Detroit, especially old school individuals, they do weird colors sometimes. Larry Foote, you know, would come through with a green alligator suit with some alligator shoes. And at that time, you know, he thought he was actually hot. And we were like, you know what? We just don't understand the culture and where, and where you're coming from. But, you know, we had a lot of different, a lot of different vibes, but, uh, worst dress, hands down, it goes to Willie Parker. Willie Parker. How would you characterize James Harrison's style? Now, sometimes Debo used to come through with something that maybe a mortician would wear. <laughs> we we used, now, we used to say hey we used to say Debo used to be having on some funeral suits man <laughs> and sometimes he used to be on point but sometimes man Debo would come through with his funeral suits man something that you know you might want to wear to a funeral which wasn't a, a, a ideal look but he he really embraced his style and he owned it and he was very very consistent with it so that leans more towards the poorly dressed than than the well dressed right yeah, I, it, I'll say this. It was something that only he can pull off. That's fair. He, he's allowed <laughs> to do that. He won Defensive Player of the Year. He can dress 
how he wants. That's good stuff on the superlatives. BMAC, that's a wrap. My final question for you is just what do we have coming up on the season? Oh, getting ready for playoff time. Playoff time leading up to the Super Bowl. And for us, the unique thing about the season is that we're following the actual schedule in 2018. So the first round of the playoffs for us in 2008, remember, we had a bye. So we will provide an episode for you guys uh, to listen to. And then, of course, in the second round, we cap off with that divisional round uh, game against the San Diego Chargers at that time in Heinz Field. So make sure you pay attention to what you see in 2008 because because of that, you will hear the exact same schedule in the season. Yeah, and we got James Ferrier joining us for the AFC divisional round, like you said, versus the Chargers. Then it's Ryan Clark. For the AFC Championship game against the Ravens, a great story from him about that epic hit on Willis McGahee. And then the Super Bowl episode will be a two-parter, breaking down kind of the lead-up to the game and then the first half. And then part two will be the second half and the emotions after the Super Bowl 43 win, hoisting that sticky Lombardi, that sixth sticky Lombardi. So, BMAC, how can people find the podcast and the season as we wrap up this run itunes go uh, just just tap into your itunes account or itunes and type in the season you definitely will see it available there please subscribe and you know just stay tuned we're bringing some nice quality insight from players that you haven't heard from in quite some time not to mention untold stories <laughs>